step into my library, won't you, and have a seat by the fire. This is Jennifer Passarello from Circa19XX.com and the Circa Sunday Night Podcast. But tonight, we're not in either of those places. We're in the Vintage Century Reading Room, and I have a book to share with you that have been lost in the mists of time. Let's have a little read, shall we? Good evening. How are you doing? Did your week go okay? How about your weekend? You know, I love doing these podcasts. I really do love chatting with all of you on our Sunday night visits. But I do know that when we're having those visits, that means the weekend is over. And a new work week is about to begin. Oh, my. Well, you know what? I don't want to think about that. We're going to just push that right out of our minds. For the time being, why don't we do this? Let's pretend that we're in the middle of an endless summer. The snow is long gone. It's nice and warm outside. We can cast our jackets aside and be free as birds. Endless summer. Oh, you know what? I love that phrase. Let's make that our official season here in Circa 19XX land. No more worry, no more stress, just carefree days, listening to music and reading books that the whole rest of the world has forgotten. How does that sound? Let's do it. Let's make that our deal. Okay, well, while we enjoy our endless summer, what's new? Um, well, I do have a new camera. I have, for the first time in my life, a fancy camera. Now, I should explain that by fancy, I mean fancy for me. This is by no means a top-of-the-line camera. It is, let me see, what is this thing? Um, th- okay, this is a Panasonic Lumix. Yeah, it's a video camera, and it also takes still shots. You know, I found that I really like composing pictures. I take a lot of pictures. I normally do that with my cell phone. But have you ever noticed that when you take pictures with your cell phone, everything is a little bit distorted? I think it's because the lens of the camera is not centered. It's in the corner. It's in kind of this weird position on the phone. And so it seems like everything is tilting or at weird angles. It's just all distorted. And I thought, you know what, I take so many pictures and I really enjoy taking pictures that I really need an actual camera, not just my phone. So I did a little splurge and I bought a fancy camera. Well, right now I'm still trying to figure out all the bells and whistles, but I'm hoping that by the time the spring flowers are in bloom, that shouldn't be too long now, and the leaves are on the trees, I'll be good to go. You know, the walking trail near my house has all of these just beautiful, ever-changing wildflowers throughout the warm months. And, oh my gosh, you know, when I think about it, I have missed those those walks and those flowers so much over the winter. I can't wait to get out there and start capturing all of that on film. So, what are you looking forward to as we start moving into the warmer months? Oh, there are so many great things about summer, you know? I love sitting out on my deck and just watching the world go by, watching the golf carts go by. 
spending long afternoons at the pool, taking Olive for walks. Oh, and you know what? <laughs> oh, I wish you could see what I see right now. Speaking of Olive, here she comes. And, oh, my darling girl, you should see her little face. Olive, what in the world is on your nose? What is that? She has... <laughs> She has this tiny little piece of paper stuck to the middle of her nose. What is that? Oh, you know what it is? Oh, okay, I know what this is. I've been three-hole punching some paper, and there must have been one of those little those little circles. What are they? Chads? Remember the hanging chads from years ago? Um, in that election, I think it was in Florida, they had the hanging chads. Well, I think those are the little hole punch things. Anyway... There must have been one of those little hole punch circles on the floor. And um, I don't know. I, apparently she was sniffing around and one of those little circles just jumped on her nose. So she has this single little polka dot right there in the middle of her nose. Oh, that's my olive. I just love her so. Anyway, what was I talking about when I got distracted there? Oh, I was talking about summer. Yes, it, you know, if you close your eyes... You could just sort of imagine that heat, right? You can feel that summer sun just soaking into your skin all the way to your bones. I love that feeling. Now, I know some of you listen to the show from your bed, so you can sort of drift off to sleep as my voice drones on and on. <laughs> so as you lay there, think about soaking up that sun. Listen to ocean waves breaking on the shore in the distance. Can't you just hear it? And imagine clouds gliding silently overhead. Ah, oh, that's nice, isn't it? Okay, and now we're going to jump into chapter 12. Now that I've gotten you all relaxed and everything, we're going to jump into chapter 12 of our book. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're reading a book together, and the book is one that I picked up years ago at an old bookshop. It's called Take a Look at Yourself, and it's by John Homer Miller. It was written in 1943. It's a wartime book, but from what I can tell, it's been out of print for years. I don't think anybody's ever heard of this book. At least I can't really find much information about it out on the Internet. So we're exploring it together, chapter by chapter. And this week, we're on Chapter 12, which has a very intriguing title, How to Succeed. Yes, Please tell me how to do that, Mr. Miller. I really need to know. Shall we begin? Chapter 12. How to Succeed One of your most powerful desires is to live a better, more successful, and more useful life. In one form or another, the central message of religion has been a constant appeal to man to live a fuller and more abundant life. Religion rightly centers the secrets of successful living within you and not without. However, many people today think otherwise. They imagine what a better life they could live if only they were set down in more fortunate circumstances. They are forever looking for a lucky break without instead of praying for a radical transformation within. 
Whatever your outward circumstances may be, the secrets of your triumph or disaster are largely within. But not only are the secrets of successful living within yourself, the results of it frequently can't be outwardly measured. We've interpreted our civilization in terms of size and statistics so long that we can't think of success apart from numbers. Our hats are off to the man who has rather than the man who is. This false conception of success is private enemy number one in modern life. It's the greatest cause of sin and sorrow in our generation. But for other people, Success is not necessarily the reaching of a goal, but rather the gaining of character. Outside the fence of his home in Marion, Pennsylvania, Edward W. Bach planted 22,000 crocuses and 5,000 daffodils. After planting many other gardens, large and small, for the enjoyment of his fellow man, Bach explained that, in a sense, he'd carried out his mother's injunction to make the world more beautiful because you have lived in it. How desperately the world needs that kind of high-minded living. What are the secrets of such living? Well, before you begin living to make the world a better place, you must have faith in the possibility of a better world. Thomas Huxley said, The most sacred act of a man's life is to say and to feel, I believe. John Barrymore once said of his brother Lionel, What I envy in Lionel is not his mind, but his ability to believe. If he never found love, he would still believe that there was such a thing. That is to say that though you may never reach your goal, you're successful if you've believed in it and struggled toward it. Read history and you'll discover that the world's most successful people were those who believed in the possibility of a better world. They may have been defeated in their own lifetime, but they lived for ideals and causes that lasted long after they were gone. Out of your faith in the possibility of a better world is born, and then nurtured, another quality, enthusiasm, without which successful living is impossible. There's no substitute for enthusiasm in life. If you lack enthusiasm, you can find nothing else that can take its place. Give me every time a child who bubbles over with energy and who's deeply motivated. He has something which his phlegmatic brother will never have. His only need is direction. His enthusiasm will discover and set free his abilities. Theodore Roosevelt said, The average man who's successful, the average statesman, the average public servant, the average soldier who wins what we call success, is not a genius. He's a man who has merely the ordinary qualities. But, he added, he's a man whose enthusiasm has developed those ordinary qualities to more than an ordinary degree. A man with less ability but with greater enthusiasm will win every time over the man with greater ability but without enthusiasm. Nothing is so contagious as enthusiasm. It moves stones. It charms brutes. Enthusiasm is the genius of sincerity, and truth accomplishes no victories without it. But enthusiasm is not enough. Your enthusiasm must be girded with endurance, the will to persevere, to hang on, to not admit defeat. 
Many a man, driven on by enthusiasm alone, gives up just when victory is in sight, or when a great decision of character is about to be made. Such people Jesus described when he summed up the character of Nicodemus, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. A miss is as good as a mile in the living of a successful life. In the public eye, the fame of Colonel Lindbergh rests upon his successful solo flight across the Atlantic. But Dr. Alexis Carroll, the distinguished scientist with whom Lindbergh worked in developing the mechanical heart, praises him for something else altogether. Of him, he says, not only is he very intelligent, but what's very important in achieving success, he is also very obstinate and tenacious, so that he does not admit defeat. Your every problem has several possible solutions. You may solve it by trying and trying again until the desired result is achieved. But frequently the solution of a personal problem is in trying something else altogether. The world knows James Watt as the man who perfected the steam engine, an uneducated, poor Scottish lad seeking any kind of employment. Even in poverty, he was possessed with a great desire to invent something. His wife, Margaret, was glad to brave the hardships of life for her husband. Once she wrote him while he was in London, undergoing enough to discourage the best of men, if the engine will not work, something else will. That's the second kind of perseverance without which living a successful life is impossible. Your business is to stand before life's unfulfilled possibilities and say, if the engine won't work, something else will. A fourth suggestion, equally simple and practical in the living of a successful life, is to get your mind off yourself and upon others, those for whom the world is to be made better and more beautiful. Only in living to make the world better for others do you discover the best in life for yourself. That, in turn, strengthens your power of endurance and increases your enthusiasm for living. Jesus expressed the secret of living in another way altogether. Whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. To forget yourself in the thought of making the world better for others is to unlock another secret of success living within yourself. And finally, without exception, the people who have lived successful lives have had someone who believed in them. Robert Frost told us that there are two fears that you ought to have. The first, he says, is the fear of man, lest he misunderstand you and withdraw his fellowship from you. The most tragic human creature is the man who has no one who believes in him. A poet dramatized it like this. How to the mire and depths did you go? I asked of a man who had fallen low. How, with the hope of victory near, did you leave the things all men hold dear? Honor and faith and striving to touch, the stars, the summits, men value much. He answered, a near friend doubted me. In contrast, The most radiant soul is he who has friends who believe in him. It's they who help him discover his unsuspected possibilities. Because of their faith in him, he refuses to give up faith in himself. Charles Kingsley once asked the secret of his radiant and successful life. He was said to have answered, I have a friend. 
How did you reach the height sublime? I asked of a man who had made the climb. How, when the doubts and the failures came, did you start anew and play the game, steadfast, unserving, with never a fear, but stronger in faith from year to year? When dark temptations assailed your way, you could bring them forth in the light of day. How did you do it? He answered, "A friend believed in me." Robert Frost says that the second fear you ought to have is fear that you prove unworthy to the one who knows you best. That is fear of God. In what unexpected places great religion is sometimes discovered. When Edward Garbish was captain of a famed West Point football team, it was learned that the cadets prayed before every game of the season. Said Garbish, "We don't pray for victory." Only that we may acquit ourselves like men. Fear lest you prove unworthy of the one who knows you best is the ultimate secret of successful living. Okay, well, so let's talk a bit about this chapter. In this one, Miller revisits a theme that he introduced earlier in this book, and that's the idea that success or failure is really all due to your internal resources, not the external conditions around you or any particular situation in which you find yourself. Likewise, you can't look to others to rescue you. Successful people are those who draw on those internal resources to pull them through. I believe this is true. You know, I was thinking about this in in my career. I've counseled a lot of job applicants who've applied for jobs that I myself was hiring for, but who were not selected. So these are people that I interviewed, but I didn't select for the position. And when this happens, particularly if it's an internal candidate that already works for the company, but they were interviewing to to make a transfer to my department, I will often make the offer that. If they'd like to meet with me and have a little feedback session, I'm happy to do that. That way, they're prepared for their next opportunity when it comes along. About half the people that I make that offer to take me up on it, and over the years, though, that has really added up because I've interviewed a lot of people in my life, and I've counseled a lot of people, given a lot of people feedback on their、uh, interviewing skills. So a lot of times, what I have found in these little feedback sessions is that these folks have very often tried for other opportunities, and they've watched other people get ahead when they seem to get nowhere. Many times, I'll say something to the effect that, you know, the reason they don't get ahead is because someone just doesn't like them. Oh, the boss just doesn't like me, or that if they see someone else was chosen for a role. It's because that person had sucked up to the boss. You know, there's always some sort of reason that someone else gets ahead or gets that opportunity, and they don't. In my experience, neither of those those reasons add up. Nine times out of ten, the reason I don't hire people is because they didn't prepare. They just showed up to the interview, but they didn't prepare. They did not convince me that they had an interest in the job. They didn't take any steps to, you know, put their skills in the best light for that particular job, or sometimes 
they'll sabotage themselves by saying something that really puts them in a negative light. You know, here's an example. I recently interviewed a candidate who had made frequent job changes, and I could see that those changes were listed on the resume. So I asked about why he had left each position. And the reason was always due to some sort of issue that he had with a manager. Well, of course, I wanted to explore this further. So I asked him to give me an example of a time when he had disagreed with his boss and then how he handled that disagreement. Well, he gave me two examples. And in both of them, he went to his manager's boss to complain. Well, (laughs) mystery solved. No hiring manager is going to hire someone with a track record of going around the boss to talk to their boss. No, who's going to do that? Nobody's going to do that. So my point is that these limiting factors are all within the control of the person. When I look at my own limiting factors, those things that have kept me from being successful, they're all internal. You know, and I started out in life with a number of disadvantages. Actually, I think we all have. But all of the limiting factors, all of the things that have kept me from from really excelling in the things that I wanted to excel in, I can step outside of myself objectively and I can recognize that they really had to do with myself, that the decisions I made, the risks that I was not willing to take, mistakes that I made, you know, maybe crazy thinking that I had on my part that that just didn't prepare me for opportunities. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons, but most of the the most important ones were internal. So I agree with Miller. Successful people are those who can effectively draw on their internal resources to move forward in spite of obstacles. So let's see, what else did he say in this chapter? Well, he noted a few essential things that a person needs to have in order to succeed. The first thing he talked about was a belief that a better life, a better world is possible and that you can be successful. I think that, honestly, you know, full disclosure here, I think that's been a key limiting factor for me. You know, when I look at all the dreams that I've had in my life, would you believe not one of them ever came to anything? (laughs) And now in retrospect, I can see why. Those were probably the wrong dreams for me, but at the time they were things that I really, really wanted. But I think in the back of my mind, I never believed that I could be successful. That's something I still struggle with today. So I I agree again with Miller that this is probably a factor for a lot of people that you have to believe that you can be successful. The next thing that he talked about was that you have to have enthusiasm. You also have to have endurance. You have to keep going in spite of setbacks. Then he talked about the fact that you have to get your mind off yourself and onto others. He had talked about that in other chapters as well. He says this in our latest chapter. You might remember this. He said, to forget yourself in the thought of making the world better for others is to unlock another secret of successful living within yourself. And then finally, he had said that those who are successful had someone in their lives who believed in them. And I really thought about that when I was reading this chapter because I thought, wow, that really underscores how important it is 
for me to let people know that I have confidence in them. Do we really do that? Do we let people know that we have confidence in them? This is particularly important to me because I lead a team of people. And, you know, some of those people, they waver in their confidence from time to time. And I think I've got to remind myself to tell them that I believe in them, that I believe they can do it. Because you know what? I really do believe that. But the question is, do I let them know? Okay, so are you now ready to go out into the world and be a smash success? I think you are. I think you can do it. Well, that does it for tonight's chapter. I hope you'll come back in a couple of weeks as we continue our journey together and dive into another chapter. And hey, why not stop over to Circa19XX.com and pop into my blog, Picks and Days. Just say hello. I'd love to see you. In the meantime, have a great week, and I'll see you soon. Bye for now. Bye for now.